So Steve Agarda is uh, who we talked a lot about today. Um, and Steve, Pastor Steve, you know, for those of you who don't know, again, I, you know, he planted this church, started this church 30 years ago, um, et cetera, et cetera. But we, we, I didn't know Steve at all prior to coming to Red Bluff. Like I had never heard of Steve. Um, I didn't really know him at all. And uh, my wife and I, we, we were on staff at a, a few churches, but we were pastoring a church in Wisconsin, a vineyard church in the Midwest for 12 years. Um, and kind of the way that it came down, a lot of people have been asking us our story lately. We've been meeting a lot of new people about how we came to Red Bluff. And um, some of you have heard this story, but some of you in the room haven't. And we came, you know, over the process of a year of praying and discerning and trying to figure out what God was doing in our life. Uh, we came out and visited Red Bluff in December of 2015. And uh, Steve, uh, on that Friday, uh, spent the whole entire afternoon with us and with Don and I and drove us all over Red Bluff and showed us, you know, all the orchards and showed us the different neighborhoods and took us down to Corning. And um, we just got to spend a lot of time with him. And he was very kind to us. I mean, I think Don and I both felt, uh, you know, very blessed to have that time with him. And you know, those things about Steve that were really interesting, because um, Steve, everybody who knew Steve knew that Steve was a like extreme introvert, right? Um, big time introvert. And, and so for most of the trip, uh, his wife was the and is the exact opposite. And Maxine pretty much talked for three hours straight, telling us about all the places all over Red Bluff. And Steve just drove us around. And it was like having a chauffeur, a taxi guy, and uh, except for what I remember the most about Steve is except for when he talked about his family. As soon as he started talking about his five children or his grandkids, he like all of a sudden was an extrovert and would tell us, he was telling us all about his kids. He was just so proud of them. And I, I, that really stood out to me because I was like, man, this guy really loves his family. He loves his wife. Um, and, uh, and so he was very kind. We just felt a ton of kindness um, in, in that time. Uh, and, I, and I honestly think that there were a lot of things that God was doing in that space in our lives, um, but, but seeing His kindness and experiencing the kindness of many other people, those were part of the reason why we fell in love with Red Bluff. Um, you know, we've told many people, like, we, we woke up, we were here Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday, we hadn't even come to church. Like, we didn't even know how crazy y'all were. We just had spent a little bit of time with a few people, and we woke up, like, I don't know, it was like 5 or 4.30 in the morning, because we were on a different time zone, and Don and I both just looked at each other, and I was like, what do you think? And she's like, what do you think? And then we just instantly started crying because we just knew that God had spoken to us about moving to Red Bluff. And, and we fell in love with the community, and, and we've, we've experienced so much kindness here over the last eight years. And, and that's something I think that we want more of, and we want to experience more as a community. And three weeks ago, we started this new sermon series that we're calling Conspiracy of Kindness. And we've been kind of leaning into that concept, that, that story of kindness and how it functions in the kingdom of God. And we started out, the first sermon though, we started out talking about how kindness, when we think about kindness as a, as a way of life, we have to start with the kindness of God given to us. And we spent time looking at how God um, you know, is, has been kind to us and has been gracious to us and has been merciful to us. Um, in fact, I think it's true that the more time that I've spent with, with Jesus in prayer and in scripture, 
the more that I've come to believe that God is far more kind than we could ever imagine. He's far more kind than we could ever imagine. I think he gives hope to the hopeless. Um, He gives mercy to those who are in need. And I'm reminded of that every single week when we gather together and Last week, we looked at Paul's letter to the Colossians, though, and we, we looked at how Paul uses this metaphor to encourage the church to dress up. He, he says to the Colossians, you need to put on the right clothes to represent Christ. Uh, and one of the articles of clothing that Paul told us to wear is kindness. Um, and the world, I think we saw, the world will know that we are kind uh, they will know that we are you know, followers of God by our kindness and in the same way that Jesus said that the world will know us by our love. Uh, and, and we've kind of been fleshing this idea out that kindness is love in action. Kindness is love in action. And this week what I want to do is I want to look at another one of Paul's metaphors. And a metaphor is just a figure of speech where, you know, uh, where uh, somebody relates, they, they use two things that are unrelated and, and compares them together. And Paul has all these different metaphors, which are just different ways to paint a picture for us to understand what he's getting at. But what Paul is going to do uh, in this passage of Scripture is going to tell us that the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is fruit. It's the product of being connected to the life that Jesus gives us. It produces fruit. Um, I had an opportunity in 2010 to go Um, fly on this crazy long journey to uh, Amsterdam, and then I flew down to Nairobi, Kenya. And it was my first like like mission trip to to Africa. And uh, we got in like at 1130 at night, and so we went right to bed. And then I woke up the next morning and went and had breakfast. And the first thing that they brought to us was fresh pineapple and fresh papaya. Have any of you ever had fresh pineapple in Africa or papaya? (laughs) Maybe not, but it was mind-blowingly refreshing. And I, I remember whole, like eating it, and I was just like, this is so much better than the stuff I get in the can. Uh, what is going on here? It is so, it's like so good. And, and I just kept eating it. And then I ordered a, a glass of juice, and they literally went out and made it fresh. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's so good. The thing about fruit is that it's tasty and it's refreshing. And so we're going to see Paul fleshing out this metaphor a bit for us um, and challenging us a bit. And so I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26, and then we'll pray, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about it. So Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 16, he writes these words. He says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Let's pray. Father, my prayer this morning for us in this space is to hear from your Spirit through Scripture, to challenge our hearts and our lives in a way that... that, uh, causes us to put into practice the things that you want and the things that bring you honor and glory. And we ask for your your grace this morning that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, I also pray if there's anything that I say this morning that is not part of your kingdom or part of your teaching, that you would just wipe it out of our minds and that no one here would walk away remembering those things. But that we would remember the greatness of God and the goodness of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. So here in Galatians 5, it's interesting, Paul is contrasting two ways of life. Uh, He's talking about life in the flesh and life in the Spirit. He's contrasting these two ways that we can live. And one is sinful and the other is divine. One is is self-centered and one is outward-focused. Um, one is destructive and the other produces life. Paul's encouragement is for us to take the risk of surrendering all and allowing God to lead and to guide us. And for us, for Don and I, we were just talking about this every time we share our story with people about, you know, because they always want to know, and it's really kind of interesting. They're like, oh, why did you move to Red Bluff? That's how they always say it. And I'm like, what? I love Red Bluff. I love Red Bluff. Red Bluff is an amazing community. And so they're always like, there's this surprise about how we ended up here. And I'm not going to lie, as I've shared before, when we Googled Red Bluff and saw the first entry about Girl in the Box, we were like, maybe we should rethink this whole entire situation, right? Like, it was like, what is going on with that? And then we learned a little bit more. But when we came and we experienced Red Bluff, we were like, oh my gosh, this community has so many different rivers to fly fish. We totally feel like God is calling us here. It was like a total, Don, I mean, I was like, Don, if you feel like that's what you want to do, I'll go with it. But in reality, we fell in love with all the people. That's, that's the truth. And, and it was like, we, we, we were going through this process of grieving though. And this is the part that was hard for us, is that for us to move to Red Bluff meant we had to leave behind our family and all of our friends. And that was really, really hard. Um, for me, it was like the most challenging thing I've ever done in my life was this, the, the risk of, of leaving behind what we knew and what we had built and what we had been a part of for so long. And it was like this whole idea of like giving those things up, surrendering those things, taking the risk of moving to the West Coast, to California, and finding out whether or not we could actually see God's kingdom at work here. And, and that for us is probably the, the biggest, I think, as a couple, it's the biggest thing that we have ever experienced where we had to, we had to trust God's leading. We had to. There, was no, there were no guarantees, right? There's no guarantees in life. And a lot of the things that the Holy Spirit invites us into, there are no guarantees. They're risks, right? You're taking a risk when you surrender and give up the things that you 
want or the things that have been controlling you in order to be obedient to God. And, and I'll tell you right now, though, eight years later, I don't, there's not a day that goes by where I regret that decision of being obedient to Jesus. Like ever. The fishing is so good. I have to just acknowledge that his goodness is... Okay, <clears throat> moving on. But here's the thing. I think it's important to point out that following Jesus is not a one-and-done decision. And I have to remind myself of that because eight years ago, we clearly, actually it was like nine years ago, God started to speak to us and was steering our hearts and was, was asking us to, to leave behind things that we loved and we had held dear to ourselves and to, and to take this risk, okay? And that was a big one. But every single day is an opportunity for us to do the same thing. Like we want to be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that when the Spirit speaks to us and when we read Scripture and we see what Jesus is asking us to put into practice, that we're willing to surrender our, our, our own desires and to go with the, the desires of God. And so it's not a one-and-done decision. Once you become a Christian, we are supposed to spend the rest of our lives giving more and more of ourselves to God and turning away from the things that displease God. And that's what Paul essentially says in verse 17. He says, And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. They're the opposite. That's what walking in the Spirit is all about. And personally, I, I was telling someone the other day about my, my story, and my, my story is like many of yours. My dad, when I, when I grew up, my mom became a Christian pretty young, and my dad was like, no, nah, I'm cool. I don't need that. And my dad was an alcoholic and was addicted to drugs. And for the first 10 years of my life, I was in this, I was in the, the best way to explain it is that with my mom, I had to basically go to church all the time and, and couldn't eat sugar ever, uh, wasn't allowed to drink soda ever or pop if you're from the Midwest, just so you know. Um, I wasn't allowed to do all those things. But when I went out with my dad, it was like R-rated movies all the time. And I was like, yeah, dad, I love my dad. My dad's awesome. But at the same time too, I, broke, I grew up in all the brokenness and my dad was an addict and there were things that, that would happen in my household that would cause all this grief and turmoil and stress. And, and, and I grew up in that environment of just like, oh, the, un, the instability all the time. But when my dad became a follower of Jesus when I was about 10 years old, what I can tell you right now is that my dad was completely changed. The gospel took resident in his heart, and I saw my dad in front of my very eyes turn away from alcohol and drugs. He got into recovery. He started going to church all the time, going to Bible studies, and started not letting me do the things that I wanted to do. That I was like, you started me on, Dad. You know? But he had changed. He was transformed. And the more that I saw my dad pressing into Jesus and surrendering his life to the leading of the Spirit, the more I saw exactly this. He turned from his own desires and turned to desire more of God's kingdom, more of the Holy Spirit's leading. And so if my dad can do it, anybody can do it. But the thing is, following Jesus is relational and it's an ongoing process. And here's what's really cool. The more that we walk in the Spirit, the more that the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives. And one of the fruits that Paul mentions here is kindness, but really all of the fruit of the Spirit is interconnected and they ebb and they flow together because they are all together the fruit of the Spirit. So the natural question I think for us if we're here this morning is this, how do we foster the fruit of the Spirit? I mean, is there anybody in the room that would like to have more of the fruit of the Spirit in their life? Anybody? 
At least, at least 12 of you all. That's great. Very good odds. So glad that we all don't want that. But uh, the question is, how do, we, how do we foster that? Or how do we develop a life that is constantly connected to the Holy Spirit and to the ways of Jesus? That's the, that's the question. How do we put into practice what Scripture is teaching us? How do, we, how do we read Scripture and see that Paul is telling the Galatian church that they need to walk in the Spirit? Because really his whole argument in Galatians 5 is he's saying, listen, if you've experienced grace, if you have made a decision to follow Jesus, if the Holy Spirit has opened your heart to receive the truth of who Jesus is, if those things are true, you are alive because of the Holy Spirit. You live in the Spirit. He's saying, if you live in the Spirit, you also need to walk with the Spirit. All right, are you with me? Like a lot of us in this room, I think a lot of us uh, in the church in general, we love the experience of salvation. Like we go to church, we hear a little bit about the gospel. We're like, yeah, I don't want to go to hell. Anybody want to go to hell? No? Okay, I've never met anybody who's like, yeah, send me to hell. Everybody's like, I want to experience salvation. Yeah, save me, Jesus. We love that. We, we rest our entire hope on the reality that Jesus died for our sins, gave us salvation. We're redeemed. We're fully in, in, in a relationship with God. We have peace. We love that part. But a lot of us pause right there. And what Paul's saying is, he's like, don't pause right there. If you live by the Spirit, you need to walk in the Spirit. And he actually, in the Greek, he uses this, the language actually is, we need to keep in step with the Spirit, and it's relational. So the question is, how do we foster more kindness? How do we develop more of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? How does that happen? How do we become more, more like Jesus? And here's what I think we see, is that, is that when it comes to kindness and all of the fruit of the Spirit, It's fostered in community. It is fostered in community. You have to remember that Paul writes these letters. He writes these letters that become part of our New Testament, the Scriptures. He writes these letters to communities of followers of Jesus, communities of faith, local churches. And that's why Paul generally uses plural pronouns. Um, If, you know, he might say things like, you all need to do this. Or if you're in the South, y'all need to do this. And when we lived in the Midwest, the way that people would say it in Wisconsin, when they would say things like, don't you know, and you betcha, they would say, use guys, use guys. And Paul is saying that essentially because community is the space where the Holy Spirit helps develop us into becoming more like Jesus and being more fruitful. Or another way to put it is like this, kindness grows amongst people. I mean, did you notice how all the fruit of the Spirit, if you look at all these different characteristics, they all are external expressions of loving God and loving people, right? They, they, they don't develop in isolation. They don't develop in isolation. And so if you want to walk in the Spirit and grow toward producing the fruit of the Spirit, you have to be in community. You have to be amongst other people because that's actually how God designed it. God designed this whole entire thing. His whole design of the kingdom of God is that there would be communities of his kingdom, people who are in fellowship together, who are in relationship together, who are working together to carry out God's mission. 
And I, I think it's important for us to realize that, um, that that's how God works in and among us. And it's despite the challenges, because a lot of us have, have challenges with church or with, with maybe the community or the idea of people. I mean, I hear it all the time. The church is full of hypocrites. Yes, it is. You might be one of them. I know I am at times, right? The church is full of hypocrites. Yes, that's true, but community still matters. Or, or people will say things like, I haven't found the perfect church yet. I'm like, well, when you do, let me know. And also let the pastor know that you're going there because it's no longer a perfect church. I just let it hang there. And they're like, wait a minute. Are you saying, yes, I am. I am. Because we, we're broken, right? We are. We're all, we're all messy. We, that's what human, being human is. Um, and the other thing that I think people often will say is people are hard and difficult and annoying. And I'm like, yeah, they are annoying. They are hard. They are difficult. We're all that way, right? I mean, that's just, that's just what community is. But here's the thing. God never intended. I've read, I've read the Bible from front to back m- multiple times. And, and I, what I see is that God never intended for human beings to be isolated and alone or to think that they should follow Jesus disconnected from community. Like, I just don't see it. Anywhere in Scripture, I, I don't see it. it. It's actually in community where we both give and receive encouragement. So some Sundays, or sometimes when you go to small group, sometimes you go and, and I don't know, you need to receive some encouragement, right? I mean, if we're being honest, and we should be honest in church at least, right? We all have bad days sometimes. And sometimes, like, we need to be encouraged. And that's why we go into community, because the Holy Spirit speaks through other people to encourage us. And then sometimes we go and we're doing pretty good. Things are going great. And we have a person that we're in community with that's not doing very good, and we get to encourage them. That's how this whole entire thing works. That's how this whole entire thing works. The way that the author of Hebrews says it is, is a really good reminder. He says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Amen? He can be, he can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And a lot of the ways that we can help foster life in the Spirit and encourage each other to walk in the Spirit and develop the fruit of the Spirit and and to follow this is by sharing words of encouragement. That's one of the things that I love about gathering together is that every single time I gather with other Christians, there's there's something I hear from somebody that's super encouraging to me. You know, like, like, Look, people just sharing things. Sometimes it's just stories that God is doing in their life, and it's like, that's so encouraging to hear. But we can also encourage one another in this room, right? There's power in our words. The things that we say to each other can actually literally make or break our, our spirits, right? And so when we gather together, if we're doing good, we should be encouraging. And if we're not doing good, we should receive prayer. We should receive prayer. Mother Teresa uh, one time said this. She said, Kind words can be short and easy to speak, 
but, the echo, but their echoes are truly endless. And I have found that to be true in the midst of, of community. And so the kindness that we're talking about going after right now as a church, trying to be more kind, a lot of it can be found in the words that we speak, right? Married people? Okay. Notice how it was mostly wives right there? That was interesting. That was an interesting observation. So after Paul writes about walking in the Spirit and how this produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit, he goes into talking about how we harvest what we plant. Okay, so remember, our Bibles that we read did not have chapters or verses. Those were added later, right? So Paul, when he writes this letter in chapter 5, verses 16 through 26, he's talking about the necessity of walking in the Spirit because as we walk in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives and more Holy Spirit, less of the evil desires and the things that displease God, more of the Holy Spirit, we have positive characteristics. And then he does this though. He basically talks about this idea of how we will harvest what we plant. So the more time we spend with the Holy Spirit, the more time we center ourselves on King Jesus and center ourselves on the politics of the kingdom, the more that we do that, the more that we're going to have positive fruit that is glorifying to God. But then he says this in verses 1 and 2. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. Does that not sound like kindness? Right, that's kindness, right? He says, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. I love it. It's just like a big slap in the face, right? But all of these things that Paul's talking about here are developed in community. This gentleness and restoration and sharing each other's burdens and helping each other are all aspects of love in action, acts of kindness that, ex- that are experienced in the midst of gathering together as a community. And I'm not just talking about Sunday morning. I'm talking about gathering with followers of Jesus in small groups, uh, at people's houses, just having people over. That's just, how, that's just how we're supposed to be. And we can't do this for each other. We can't encourage one another. We can't give each other hope. We can't help each other. We can't do any of those things if we aren't in a regular relationship with other people. And it's hard to receive help when we are overcome if we are isolated and by ourselves. So that's why I say that kindness is fostered in community. It happens in community. It's developed in community. If you want to be more kind, you have to be in community. Let's stand together. So what's customary or traditional in our church community is having a little bit of space where we can respond to what the Holy Spirit might be doing in the room and respond and create some space where we can let him do what he does. Um, and so I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come right now. And, and if you, um, you want to just posture your heart, you can close your eyes if that helps you focus a bit on, on God. You're more than welcome to do that. Um, but Holy Spirit, we, we welcome you again here. Not because we don't know that you indwell at all times God's people. We know that. Scripture teaches that. But we want you to come right now 
and engage our hearts and be active in this room. So come Holy Spirit, would you rest on us right now? Come, Holy Spirit. Just have this sense, um, it's kind of been with me kind of all morning, and maybe it's related to the past and Steve and, and some of the, maybe the sorrow and the grief that is, um, is connected to that. But I also just have a sense that there's a few people in this room uh, who just have, have some grief and some sorrow and maybe are feeling overwhelmed Maybe you're feeling hopeless. Maybe you're feeling like you have no direction right now. Um, the sense of being stuck. And, and part of what I was sensing is that uh, what's happened is because of that, um, it, it's like, it's like you haven't experienced God's love or, or you're, you're kind of like wrestling with like, maybe God, maybe God loves everybody else but doesn't love me. It's this kind of the sense I, I had. And it, it reminds me of um, the scripture in, in Psalm 30 where the psalmist writes, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. And I feel like the, the Spirit is saying that there's a few of us that are in this state of we're in the night. We're in the, we're in the stage where, where there's sorrow and there's grief. And, and I think that the Holy Spirit today, this, this morning, wants to actually help us to know his love and to experience a bit of hope and encouragement uh, this morning. And so, you know, in our church community, we have this, um, this value where we say everyone gets to play. We constantly, our favorite prayers come Holy Spirit. Um, and we believe that God meets us in prayer, like prayer actually does something um, and so we'd love to pray for you. And so here's what I want to do. We're just going to take a couple minutes here. If you're here this morning, if you would be courageous, I know this might be, might be scary, um, but I think that God wants to meet us where we're at. And so if you're here this morning and you can connect with that, like, yeah, I feel like I'm in the night. I have grief. I have sorrow. I, I, just, I just feel isolated or disconnected. We want to pray for you for one minute. And so if you're here this morning and that connects it all with you, would you be willing to do this just to be brave 
And just to put your hand up and say, yeah, I, I'd like to receive some grace this morning. One person or there's anybody else? Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. First of all, I, th- I think there's a couple other people. Is there anybody? I, I, th- this is what the Bible says. And I know it's scary because I remember those moments of feeling like, gosh, I'm not going to raise my hand. I don't want anybody to look at me. Um, but the Bible teaches that God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And every single time I humble myself and put myself in a space where I can receive prayer, God always meets me. Every single time because God gives grace to the humble. And so um, what I'm going to ask you to do in a minute is raise your hand again. And then this is what's going to happen. All over this room, there are people who have been following Jesus. Maybe, maybe they started following a week ago. Maybe they've been following for 30 years. And what we believe is that everybody gets to play. Everybody who's in this room, who's a follower of Jesus, can actually pray for somebody because prayer is simply communicating with God. The good news is that you don't have to have fancy words. God, God takes us right where we're at. Amen? Amen? Amen. So, Again, if you're, if you're here and you're like, I could use some grace this morning, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now and just keep it up for one minute, okay? Okay, so here's what I want to do. Look around the room, and if, if you see somebody who's near you, why don't you just do this? You can put your hand on their shoulder. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to help you walk you through this right now. we got a hand right here. we got a hand right here. There's a hand back there, a couple hands right there. And so if you're a Christian, it's totally allowed to move around in a room. I looked into it. It's crazy. There's freedom. I want to make sure everybody who's here who, who would like to receive some grace this morning is going to receive that. And so if there's anybody else, okay, are you, Jody, are you? Okay, cool. Yeah. Anybody else? Okay. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come right now and to bring grace and mercy and, and, and freedom. And so if you have your hand on someone's shoulder right now, You can just pray for that. You don't even need to have any special fancy words. Holy Spirit, would you come right now and would you bring grace and mercy and hope right now in the name of Jesus? Would you bring peace right now in the name of Jesus? Father, is an extension of your kindness right now will you Will you bring healing to to anyone in this room whose heart is weary? But Lord, I just just pray that you bring hope right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray that. And if you're here this morning and you had your hands up, and if you're one of those people right now that's been been kind of just feeling disconnected. I, I just want you to know right now that, that what's happening right now is God is wanting to love on you. Like as sure as anything I've ever been sure of, I'm, I'm so convinced that God's love for you is, is way more than you could ever imagine. And that he loved you so much that his son willingly came and died on the cross for your sins, your brokenness, your messiness. And that he did that because he wants to have relationship with you. And that's true whether you've been a follower of Jesus for 20 years or if you're brand new to church. God loves you that much. He wants to give you hope. And so, Father, I pray for each person in this room, for everybody in this room, to experience your love fresh right now. And to know how wide, how deep, how long, 
how much your love is and how, how great and marvelous it is. And Father, as we transition from this space of gathering together for worship and encouragement and to be together, to receive grace, Lord, and we transition to going out into the world around us, will you give us more of your love so that we can turn around and give it away? Would you give us more grace, more mercy, and more kindness so that we can give it away? I pray for your protection and your guidance as we do all that we can to walk in your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.